Richie's uncut with Callum Sponge and Bo Talking everything, lifestyle, sports as well With self-development and everything in between These boys got what you need Before we get too far in, well, welcome to the Couches Uncut. You said it anyway. Um, for the uh, viewers that haven't got around, well, maybe haven't seen you before, um, you are the captain, aka Brad Drybra, uh, from the A Lot to Talk About podcast. Um, very excited to have you on. You had us on. We really appreciated that. Um, wanted to share the love, like we just talked about with this these lockdowns and stuff. Obviously, we wanted to have and you know get you in studio. We obviously got this studio space, and then two weeks later, oh, I think it was a week later, went into lockdown. So. We're in kind of in the same space. We haven't really got to utilize this studio yet. Hoping that these lockdowns finish before, you know, we get out of here or depending on if we extend this lease or not. Um, yeah, we really want to get you in, but I thought I don't want to wait till then. I'd rather get you on, even if it's only 15, 20 minutes, just to talk about exactly like you were just talking about what we've you've got in the pipeline and especially 42 for CF too. No, I appreciate it and loved having you guys on the show. And I've been excited by your journey. Like one thing I say, and I'll give you a real compliment here is, it's been crazy to watch how quickly you guys have taken to this. And I think it's, I think it was, it was easy for me to feel like I took to it quickly because it was only my brain I had to manage, but you've got three guys with three personalities, but somehow obviously these are all really tight, you know, with you and Calby and brothers. And then, you know, you got sponge there who's been a lifelong mate, but it just fits so well. And so, yeah, congratulations. You're doing great. Thanks, bro. Yeah, we kind of just jumped into it a little bit like naive, but there's probably sometimes naivety, I think, is is the secret because you don't know how hard it's going to be. And then once you're in it, you're like, shit, we've got to keep going now. <laughs> Mate, I 100% agree. I think sometimes when you are naive, you don't realize how hard it's going to be. Like I can remember starting this pod for the love of it and thinking 12 months and I'm top five on the charts. <laughs> like, <laughs> Same, man. Just like it's so naive, but then when you're, when, when you're in it and we spoke about it just before, like you realize that feeling you get at the end of a pod and you're like, I love this so much that it doesn't matter what I am on the charts. Like I'm just going to keep working until eventually the people appreciate it as much as I do. So I man, I'm all for naivety. It's the best, man. It is. It really, um, well, we're, we're built on naivety, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't noticed. But and yeah, you've like almost got to be when you come from a place where like, because most people in the podcast space are starting from a, a position of real power. Like they've been an influencer or they've been a, a, an athlete or somebody in some form of significant role where they've already got a following and they've already got an audience. So I think when you start the other way and like you've got to work from the ground up, you just, you need to almost be okay with it taking a lifetime. And, you know, it lends to what we speak about all the time. When you find something you love, you just have to pursue it and whatever the outcome will be, it will be. But if you enjoy the journey, well, that's the win. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, talking about your journey, um, um, I just wanted to get a bit of insight. So even take it right, right back to the start. Um, for people that don't know, you're living with cystic fibrosis. Maybe just give us a bit of an insight of what that is um, and what it's like growing up with it too. Yeah, so I was born with a condition, it's a chronic illness known as cystic fibrosis. It is essentially, it's a missing um, gene that transports salt and water to the cells in your body. And without that gene, salt, you know, salt and water allows mucus in the body to move freely and not to sit within the organs. 
unfortunately without that it gets quite thick and sticky and it sits on the organs and damages and scars them and impairs function so predominantly that's within the lungs but also it affects the digestive system and a lot of the endocrine system too so there's a few different um, what we call mutations of cystic fibrosis which you are born with one of the i think it's three mutations and i was born with the most serious one which is called delta f508 and basically the way that works is for me my pancreas is quite insufficient which means um i, I can't produce digestive enzymes naturally so i have to take them every time i eat anything with protein or fat in it and my lungs are you know scarred and, and more susceptible to infection and yeah, um, basically impaired function. So most people with cystic fibrosis have a really low function of their, their lung capacity, which makes it harder to breathe. It also makes it harder to fight off and keep infection out. So that's why you see a lot of kids with CF consistently in hospital. It's like six to nine months of their year is spent in a hospital bed fighting off infection. Where for all of that craziness and, you know, all of the the negativity that can come with CF. My parents were the most prepared you could ever be to have a child. Like they had everything figured out. And then I come along and it was like, like a little Mike Tyson uppercut to the face, like fucking didn't expect this, did you? And they handled it so well. Like, you know, when you read up about CF, like in 2021, if you search on Google cystic fibrosis, it'll pop up life expectancy, 38 to 41 years of age, you know, 50% of people won't make it past the age of 27. You know, it, it really gives you the story of what will be a quite troubled life. And we're now 25 years on. I'm 25, if anyone didn't pick that up. And um, like back then it was even worse. So we live in a world now where modern medicine is, is helping me big time and helping everyone with CF. But for them to receive a diagnosis like that and not even know what CF was, took some real resilience on their behalf. And they walked into their first doctor's appointment with a CF specialist. And he literally in these words, almost, you know, word for word in this quote said that your son would be better off with a terminal illness because that would kill him or he'd get over it. This is going to ruin his life. So you can imagine being first time parents and hearing that. And most would crumble. Mine got up, walked out and said, that's not the attitude we're going to have. And they found a very good doctor who had a different perspective. And that was, let's do absolutely everything in our power, even when we technically don't have to at times to make sure that we're preventing things rather than trying to cure them when they come up as an issue. And because of that, I lived in a, like the first 18 years of my life, you know, for all the diagnosis, like diagnosed with liver disease at nine, diabetes at 13, if you didn't have my health record to sit down and read through all of that, you would have gone, this kid's just exceptionally healthy, um, above average. And, and I lived a really healthy life. I was a state champion sprinter and I competed in beach athletics across New South Wales. And like, I was, I was in great shape. You wouldn't have been able to tell I had CF and I really had no CF issues until I hit about the age of 18 where I got hit with pneumonia and that knocked me for a six and sort of the last the last seven or so years now, um, you know, CF has been a little bit of a roller coaster, but I think because of that underlying foundation that I had built from my parents in the first 18 years of my life, I'm in a really great place where, you know, the downs of those roller coasters don't last too long. And before I know it, I'm, I'm up top again. Oh, that's awesome. Is there anything that could like, um, could like, uh, I don't even know the word I'm so bloody illiterate, but like, um, 
did something change from when you were 18 onwards with your dieting and stuff that made this, or is it just the slow progression as you get older? It's just, um, seems to come out a bit more. You know what it is, brother? Like, so most people turn 18 and they turn to alcohol, drugs, partying. I had liver disease from the age of nine, so I was never going to drink and I was never going to take recreational drugs. And I hit 18 and whilst most people turn to partying, I hit 18 and was like, oh, I want to be successful. Like I was driven by this idea of what financial success could look like. And so I jumped into a really financially driven career in real estate at the time and basically dedicated 100% of my energy to it, which meant that where 100% of my energy went one way, um, not a lot of it went towards keeping fit and staying active. And I really took that what could almost have been considered natural athletic ability as a child. And I really took it for granted and I found myself in the worst shape of my life. And that probably hit a low point where, you know, I'd, I'd get these, it's, it's funny because I always say, and, you know, in, in the process of writing this book that I've been writing the last couple of months, I've noticed that all of the really, what some would say catastrophic moments in my, my health journey have almost been real catalysts for me. They, elicit a real change or a real response in the way that I live my life. However, unfortunately for seven years or for six of those years, a catastrophic health moment, like a pneumonia, a lung bleed, um, a major infection where I'd end up in hospital, they elicit this like incredibly powerful response that slowly dies off and gets quickly forgotten about again. And I think that's just the craziness and the busyness of life. And it wasn't really until last year that I realized I'd really have to do something about this here because young fit Brad, who was 18 and was never going to be bothered by CF was on top of the world. And now you're heading in a direction where you're literally going to be a prisoner of it. If you don't do something about it. I get you. Yeah. I understand. Oh, I get that. I understand that so much. Cause I agree, man. And your, your lowest points, Maybe not, well, I can't relate with the cystic fibrosis side of things, but like, I know there's some been some low moments in mine and that's the stuff where I'm like, man, I've got to do something. I'm going to start reading books and exactly. And it's kind of the catalyst. You don't, you don't wish for the bad times, but the bad times always bring something, you know, after the storm, there's always the sun comes out, you know? What, what is it that Rogan says that famous quote on one of his podcasts, like hard times breed hard men. And it's true. Like you really get something out of those moments and that, that's been the thing for me, right? You, you realize that at the time, but as I've been writing this book and I've looked back on, especially the last seven years of my life, there's been like, been like a real trend. And it's like when I have those really hard, challenging times, I just find a way to bounce back better. And I think I'm finally at that stage in my life where I think I realize what's important, right? And, and that takes a number of things. It takes, you know, tough times in the career, tough times in your own head when you realize you've been chasing the wrong things and you found value in the wrong things. And I feel like I'm finally at a good place in my life where I definitely don't have it all figured out, but um, I know what, I know what it takes for me to be the best version of myself. And I'm slowly but surely working towards that. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love that. Um, not to delve too far into the book, but is that, are you, is like a autobiography you're going for? Man, the, the books, the book kind of come out of nowhere, right? So I was like, like I sort of touched on um, right at the beginning when we started chatting here, I, I sort of got into lockdown and like you guys, you know, I was ready to go, you know, just a, a few weeks before I had the studio set up and ready and 
I've had the studio for a couple of months now, but I just got it all, you know, nicely done inside. I got it painted, new furniture in, and I was pumped to get in there, start filming pods. And then all this happened and sort of forced home. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be doing a few pods over Zoom, but I kind of wanted just to take two weeks just to think on something just didn't feel right. And I, and I sat and I was thinking on the last few weeks of everything and um, where I could push this in the right direction and make sure it was really true and authentic. So I started journaling, you know, we've spoken about it before. I'm a big fan of Matthew McConaughey's book. And he talks about that trend of journaling throughout his life, good times and bad times, you know, and he always says like, I wish I journaled more in the good times too. So I thought, even if this is just a slight bit of confusion, it'd be really good to get words on paper. And I found myself just enjoying writing. And then I was writing about my life, writing about moments and more so writing about the present. And a girl locally who I don't know all that well, um, but is a really good human. I've, you know, sort of passed by her a few times and we say our usual get A's and she sent me a voice message on social. And I actually spoke to her yesterday because I hadn't told her yet, but she sent me a voice message on social and she said, Hey, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about your 42 for CF marathon journey. And it really made me think you haven't shared too much of like your full story, like your early years and what makes you, you and what gives you your mindset. And I thought about, and I thought I really haven't. And I thought about, you know, she said, you should do a podcast on it. We should do like a series of podcasts on it. And I thought about that and I thought, oh, something pulling me towards just writing about this, you know, because I'm in journaling. And so I got out my laptop and I started writing. And a couple of weeks later, I found myself 26,000 words in and spoke to a few people and they put me on a publishers and the publishers were like, yeah, it sounds like the kind of story we like to sell and the kind of thing we like to get on shelves. So, you know, it could be something, it may not be anything, but it has been quite, it's been really like written like a memoir and almost written as if, um, it's just me journaling. It's very raw and I'm not a great reader. I'm much, I'm a much better listener and I've read a few books in my time. And when I say a few, I really do mean a few. <laughs> um, and it's kind of like, for me, there's the books that stand out are the ones that have the really powerful message, but follow someone's journey and not, not too much like workshop self-help, but more like, I think we, we learn from people around us, right? And we learn from people who have walked similar paths to us. And I don't just want to make this a book for people who have had CF, right? Which, you know, I hope plenty of the CF community pick it up and feel inspired, but I really wanted it to be a challenge for myself. I, I kind of figured out, I read some of this to my family and I, I passed some of this on to some people really close to me just to read certain parts of the book. And I was, I was probably a little bit surprised by their, their feedback and you know mum's always going to tell you that you graded everything you do um but when I had a few friends say hey this this could actually be something really special um I kind of maybe surprised myself a little bit and as I sat with that and I thought with that and I thought as I always do I'm a bit of a dreamer I thought man if I was sitting in front of Oprah Winfrey in 12 months and I'm talking to her about this book how are you going to feel about it and ultimately I'd want to sit there and feel really proud that I'd put the most vulnerable and authentic version of myself forward. So it, it sort of, it made me think this has to be about more than just the, the catastrophic moments or the, you know, the big wins after those moments in my life that it, it has to speak about everything. So it speaks a little about love, speaks about insecurity. It speaks about really my whole journey down to a T without getting 
too technical or too boring. And I hope it is something that at about 30,000, 35,000 words um, really gives people an insight into um, what's been a modest, but, you know, very interesting life. Now, that's awesome, man. I'm so excited about that. It's one of those things that um, I'm happy that person reached out to you because like once, as soon as you say that it clicks, I'm like, bro, you've had an awesome, like a crazy life, an awesome life. You've done so many things already at the age of 25 and the things that you're going to go on to do. But yeah, I'd be so excited to read that. That, that sounds like a bloody top seller to me. I appreciate it, brother. It's funny, isn't it? Like, I think, as we said before, those moments of like, chaos or confusion often lead to something good and and she just messaged me at the right time and it kind of I thought about her message over the course of lockdown as I've been writing this and yesterday I was like I'm going to reach out to her and send her a little voice memo and a bit of a thank you and she was super excited and um, I think it's just you know you cross paths with people in your life and sometimes even people you don't know that well um, can, can give you a great idea and ultimately she handed me a bit of a gem of an idea. That's awesome. Now that's awesome, man. All right. I'll come back to the, the, um, reason we're here. What are everyday things that you need to be careful of? Um, that, you know, someone else that's not living with cystic fibrosis wouldn't think about. Yeah, there's a few things. So with CF, um, one thing a lot of people don't actually know about CF and even now having this conversation with people, because for a long time I was, I was just Brad, but because of the marathon and stuff, people are now kind of like, oh, it's Brad and he's got CF and we're curious about that. So people ask me questions about this all the time. And I found that one thing no one ever really knew was people with CF can't actually come into contact. So that blew me out. I remember you saying that. Yeah. So basically it's almost like the, the risk of cross infecting or cross contaminating with, so let me explain this a little deeper, right? So let's say for example, I have an infection in my lungs um, I, as someone with CF can have an infection in my lungs that if you and I are sitting next together, you would never catch. Um, it's something that is very much CF born because of the way the lungs are. And, but if you had CF, it's so easy for me to pass it on to you and get you sick. And unfortunately, a lot of people with CF tend to have infections or what we call bugs that do regularly breed and stay in their lungs. So that you know, everyone at the moment with COVID has been told to stay six feet apart. Well, that's the general rule for CF. So I've got a bunch of friends now who have CF, but we never catch up. We always say like one of my really good mates, Kano, who runs our maras with us, his partner, Katie has CF. So we always just blow each other a kiss and sort of a wave from a distance, but it's one, it's one of the harsh realities, but at, at the end of the day, it's for safety. You know what I mean? And I would never want to get someone sick if there's something I didn't know I had or, or vice versa. So that's one of the things with CF you got to be careful of. And, and obviously you can't walk around with a purple badge on your shirt to, to let everyone, you know, you're probably at one point going to brush past someone in the community. And I've been baffled by how many people with CF there are in Wollongong. I, I cannot believe it. What would the numbers be as a percentage of the population? Um, I say, is it, a, how rare is it? I think it's one in, let me quickly Google this. I think it's one yeah. in every 25,000 newborn babies. Yeah, right. Because okay. it, it is the most common genetic illness in young Australians. Right. Um, so cystic fibrosis. Um, For something that know, seems. It's probably there yeah. somewhere, but it's. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's one in every 25,000. Wow. Right. Which is, cra- which is crazy, right? And then obviously at the moment we live in 
a society where, um, you know, we've all heard of fucking COVID-19, um, that for a lot of people with CF is, is quite dangerous just because they are quite immune compromised. And I think one of the guys who unfortunately passed a few weeks ago, the 32 year old male from Sydney, I've got a good feeling there was, there was word and I haven't been able to confirm this. It's obviously very hard. His family's probably been private about it, but there was a lot of talk about a, a guy in his early thirties going at ICU with CF who had COVID. Um, and see for, for a lot of people with CF, like I'm, I'm really blessed that the normal person has an average lung function of about a hundred percent. Right. Which means there's two ways they measure that. The first is the amount of total air you can get into your lungs. So what the capacity of your lungs is, and to score hundred percent means you're basically on par. You're on average with everyone else at your age, height and weight. And the other way they measure that is by how much air you can get out of your lungs in a second. And that's a test of function because your lungs, if open and clear, should be able to basically expel all their air quite quickly. Um, however, for people with CF, um, what we start to see is the lower end of the spectrum where people who are suffering from only about 35% of lung function, they're on a transplant list or anything below 40% is flagged as really dangerous. And for most people, they're probably sitting somewhere between 40 and 80%. And for me, I sit at about 75 to 80%, which is quite good. It's something my doctors kind of cheer over that, which is crazy. And I guess, it, you know, you forget about it a little bit at times, but you think far out, like when you, when you lost a percentage of your function, you haven't lost it forever. You can, can gain certain amounts of it back through strengthening your lungs and clearing them. And through some of these drugs that are hitting the market at the moment too, they've been seen to give people 20 to 40% increase in their lung function, which is incredible. Um, I guess we'll get to that in a minute, but it's definitely something that when you've got that impaired function and, and you're susceptible to infection, a virus like COVID is, is going to love that. It's going to breed in those grounds, right? So it's definitely something that people with CF have had to be careful of at the moment. I'm really grateful that it's like I've rarely ever catch a flu um, or a cold, let alone COVID. So I'm, I'm in a really good place with my immune system and I've worked hard for that. Um, but that's something at the moment, but I guess there's not too much that people need to worry about. It's more so just, um, it's more so daily routines. And like, I take 50 tablets a day and do, you know, two nebulizers and one um, lung physio on a puffer every day. So that's about an hour of my day. So it's just those things, staying on top of routine and pretty much everyone with CF does that. So it's kind of like, you know, if you held us upside down, we'd probably rattle and shake a little bit with the amount of tablets going through us. But it becomes so second nature, man. People hear me say that and they go, far out, that just must be insane. But, you know, like I'm having a, an arm and flatty now and it's literally just popping two tablets and you can carry them around in this little pack. It's, it's so seamless. Like people don't even realize I do it because it's so, like it's just such a normal part of my day that has been for 25 years now. So. Oh, that's awesome, man. No, that's good. It sounds like you've got it down to a fine routine. Got it all covered. Like, it's literally, like I said, it just becomes such second nature. Like, and it's from, you know, your parents have to handle that for a long time. And then it, essentially it becomes your, I guess your, um, your weight to bear. And, and for me, like, it's been really easy. The only thing that I think people struggle with, with that routine is, 
um, you know, people who maybe are a little bit insecure about their CF or about being different from friends. A lot of people go through that stage, especially through high school and adolescence where, um, you know, it's, it's not cool to be taking tablets or, so I think to, to normalize it. And that's why I like to try and talk about my stuff. So people don't feel like it's, um, you know, it's taboo to talk about, or, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed of something you've got to do to, to keep yourself hundred percent. We all have health challenges in life, regardless of who we are. Um, it's a part of the process and eventually we all get old and we take a fuckload of tablets anyway. So exactly. It's one of those things too, that, um, you probably feel insecure about it on the inside, but re- really no one actually would care. You know what I mean? But you put, they, people might put that pressure on themselves, but it, whereas 100%. if you just did it, no one would care. Man, and I was so lucky. Like I grew up with such amazing mates who are all still mates of mine today. And we'd go anywhere. Like we'd we'd be ready to go to Macca's and they're like, oh, don't forget your tablets. Man. Like, so you know what I mean? I had such a good supportive group of mates around me. So yeah, I think if anyone knows someone with CF and encourage them yeah, during no, those awesome, times. Man. Going back to the medication, I remember you were talking on a pod a couple months ago, might have been now, um, that Medicare took the subsidies off for a certain medication. Now, have they amended yeah, so, that? So that's what I was sort of just touching on just a second ago too. So th- there's been a new drug that, so let's say 25 years ago, I was born. They said to my parents, Hey, by the time your son's 20, there'll be a cure for CF. There still isn't. It's very hard to cure CF. And, and for years they've come up with drugs that basically try to treat the underlying problem, which is that missing gene. Right. And basically it's basically the issue has been time and time again, that they put this thing into the body and the body fights it off because it's almost like it doesn't know what it is. It's foreign. And so in the last like five years, they've started to make some real progress on that. And at first there was a drug called Orcambi that we fought to get approved by the PBS, got it approved. Um, It was supposed to be like the shining light for CF, but I think like I did, a lot of people, had some form of side effect i had like crippling stomach pain where like i remember being like curled up in a ball on the ground for like three four days at home and so i was like that's that's not worth it and then they some people found found it great though right and then they found a drug called simdeco which was basically similar to or but a little bit easier for for most people to manage with and i've been taking that for a couple of years now However, I'll say maybe it is doing something, but for me, it kind of feels like much of a muchness, right? But then the biggest innovator and the game changer for people with CF has been something that we started to hear about about a year and a half ago, and it's called Trikafta. And Trikafta or Kaleidico um, in, I think in the UK is what they call it. And basically what we've seen from that is there's very little to no side effects for most people. Um, it is only really available at this stage to the community who has um, the genetic mutation that I do, which is actually about 90% of people with CF, um, the, you know, the worst of cases. And then it basically treats that underlying cause. So it's the closest thing we've ever seen or probably ever really imagined to a cure of CF. Now, what we've seen for people who take that drug and, this has been across trials all around the world is basically it's, it's almost like this two-step process. They take the drug and there's like this initial, what we've been calling the purge, right? Well, because you've had such thick and sticky mucus on your lungs for so long, it literally all clears. 
Like there's this incredible like coughing fit you have for about three hours where you clear as gross as it sounds, you clear a heap of mucus off your lungs. And then it's like, holy fuck, I've never felt breathing like this before. Right. And we've seen people's lung functions boost by up to 20 and 40% in some cases. And that's probably a lot of the people who are at the lower end of the spectrum. Of course. Yep. And we've seen even people like myself who have very healthy lung functions still see an increase of like 10% um, or even a few, few percent, but overall the reports are feeling absolutely incredible, energetic, having to take less tablets, having to take far less. And even in some cases, no digestive enzyme anymore because their pancreas is sufficiently producing them. So this is life-changing for people with CF. Like this drug will save probably 90% of CF lives. Really that now, much? Like it's, it's, incre- it's incredible, man. It's incredible. Wow. And it's basically, what it's basically doing is it can't eradicate damage. So it's not going to remove the scarring on your lungs. It's not going to, you know, remove a diseased liver. Um, but what it's going to do is it's going to stop things getting worse. And, and that's always the goal for CF, right? It's to prolong life. And we're in a space now where, you know, that, that, that life expectancy is still way too low, 38 to 41 years of age. It's devastating. Um, but I think we're going to start to see people with CF die of old age. And, and I love to say that. And I've always said, I'm going to be that hundred year old fucker that his kids is just waiting for him to kick the bucket so they can get their inheritance. <laughs> right. So I've always been super positive about that, but you can't help but be even more positive when you hear these sort of stats um, off the back of trials. And what they done was they, they made this available in the UK. So I've got a bunch of mates in the UK um, who have CF and we communicate and, and funnily enough, we've all connected through podcast space and they're incredibly fit human beings, which has been a really nice insight for me because I consider myself as someone who's pretty fit with CF. So to watch those people even have like, I'm speaking to a friend of mine, Sophie, who does triathletes and does ultra marathons and she's a weapon and she's taken this drug and she's like, I like Brad, I feel incredible. And I'm like, that's so nice to hear. But we're at a stage where in Australia, we, we had, I think it was back in February this year, there was, a, um, there was a meeting to try and get a PBS approved. And up until that point, it had only been available for people with compassionate use or compassionate access, which was considered everyone who was on a transplant list, basically with less than 40% lung function. Now, the devastating thing is it's been so great for all of those people. And they've seen a huge improvement saying that like their, their worst days um, are now long gone and like their best days are what, well, their worst days are what their best days used to be. Right. Which is so good to hear. And their life has changed and it's given them a reason to, to get out of bed and be excited for what the future holds with CF. But for some reason, and and it's probably two things, right? The government didn't approve it on the PBS for everyone else. And right, right, right. so there was this ultimate frustration. So I started to look into it a little bit and I'm still not fully across it. It's such a complex issue, but we've got a drug company over here who wants roughly, um, they're charging basically it's, I think it's around 300 odd thousand Australian dollars per patient per year for this drug. Wow. Right. So there's not a single person in Australia that I can imagine who'd be able to afford that without, um, the pharmaceutical benefit scheme then the government isn't approving it. But I can kind of understand that there's this headbutt between the two where it's like, 
they want 300 and something thousand. We know that there's so much profit in that, like ridiculous amounts of profit. The government's trying to obviously get that down. Um, at the same point in time, there's a frustration from the consumer or the CF patient that far out how much, you know, how much do you put on a life? Like what's a life worth in Australia, right? So I think there's got to be some compromise between the two. And they just had another meeting again recently where it still wasn't approved, but I feel like we're making headwind. And for me, it's, it's a really tough one, right? So I think it's going to, it's going to take a little bit more of a fight. And I think there's probably some reluctancy from the government because they've given so much money to the, the two medications I mentioned prior, Simdeco and Orcambi in the past to have them PBS approved. But essentially what they need to understand is, you know, most people with CF spend months and a very good majority of their year in a hospital bed and it costs money to keep those patients there. So, you know, we're at a stage where we need to re- realize that when you take off all the other med- medication that they currently got on the PBS, that will likely not be necessary anymore or be very limited need um, when someone is taking Trikafta you know, eventually it probably ends up better for the government anyways. And I think it's just going to be a matter of maybe them seeing a few more good cases and a few more positive cases. Um, and, and to be honest, man, like it's just CF is a bit of a forgotten condition, even though it is so um, like, it's like I said, the most common genetic illness in children in Australia. So that's why I'm trying to do my best with these charity events and to bring light to stuff. And, you know, I, I, I never want to be someone who puts my hand up and says, because, you know, there's, there's a million people who need trikafta before I do. Um, but I hope that just me sharing the ups and downs of a CF life and trying to come across the other side of it um, with a good fighting spirit. I hope that eventually it just continues to, to lift the voice. And I'd like to think that a lot more people around Wollongong know about CF and know about the issues at hand because of what we've done. Hundred percent. I think you bring a lot of awareness to it. Um, personally, I didn't know much about. I've heard, obviously, everyone's heard of cystic fibrosis, but you don't realise how um, pre- prevalent it really is in the community. Like you said, um, a lot of people do have it, and it's the number one um, disease. Like that blew my mind. That even that, just knowing that it's the number one. It's crazy. It's it's been, and and for me, it's been really really nice. Like. Like I touched on before, like my parents, I'm so, I'm so blessed. Like it's Father's Day today, the old boys out there. Um, so blessed that I was just given the two greatest parents on earth. And without like, for me, I write about it in the book. The greatest lesson I've ever learned in my life was a lesson I learned before I even knew it, you know, like three months old, that what you believe is what you'll become. And they believed that I had a really special life ahead of me and I wasn't going to be another sad statistic. And that's just what I'm trying to do with this now, right? Because for a lot of people, when you become an adult, CF is your responsibility, but there's so many kids out there whose parents just need a little bit of hope. So it's not just about the kids with CF or the adults with CF, it's about their parents. And if I can shine a light on the fact that this is tough, however, there are great things that can come from CF. And for me, it's been an incredible teacher and a massive blessing because it's given me a story to tell and it's given me a little fucking chip on my shoulder. Like, like for me, like I like to be able to accomplish these good things. It's like a badge of honor to be accomplishing big things with CF. And if, if more parents could see what the future actually holds for their kids with a positive outlook on it all, 
um, I think we, you know, we'd have a healthier, healthier CF population in Australia. So I hope we can continue to shed light on that. I love that, man. And what a no better role model, you know, they could have than than you, really. I appreciate it. I mean, like you said, like that doctor, man. If if how many people went in and seen that original doctor your parents seen, straight off the bat, you're you're put into a negative. It's like um doing positive your gratefuls in the morning or positive affirmations. However you start the day or start something is how it's gonna go. And like you said, if you're given from the outset, you know your son's better off having a terminal illness, you're straight away in a negative mindset from the get-go, which is, it's ridiculous, man. 100%. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I said I was very vocal at the end of last year's marathon where I, I basically made a massive speech and it was a big fuck you to that doctor. I actually said fuck you to that doctor at the end of it. But I think it's, unfortunately, it's just the stats, right? And it's like everything at the moment. So, you know, that when you've got negativity, it, it fucking sinks in, like it seeps into you. And, and that's what everyone projects. And I think it's so hard to, you know, it'd be so hard when we spoke about before naivety, sometimes naivety makes you believe things that you necessarily shouldn't believe. Right. And when you don't know anything, when you're so uneducated on a topic or a condition, the first time you're exposed to it is usually form some sort of basis of that foundational belief. And we're just trying to make sure, like I had a comment, we'd done a, a news story with Win News last year. And I remember scrolling through on Facebook and looking at the comments and there was a mum that commented and she said, this gives me so much hope as a mum with two kids under the age of nine with CF that, they've actually got a future. So thank you. And I'm like, for me, that's what this is about, right? Like to, that could change those kids' lives just the way that their mum thinks. So, you know, I'm just trying to do my part, man. And, and, and I enjoy doing my part. So. No, that's awesome, man. And doing your part, you are like what we're about to get into anyway, the 42 for CF. So this is massive, man. So yeah. take us into how you even began it. Like how do, I don't even know how you would start. You know what I mean? How do you yeah. even begin this journey? It's, it's a funny one, man, because like I, like I said, I was always athletic growing up, right? And I was a sprinter. So I sprinted 100 and 200 meters at, at a bunch of levels in state. And I really enjoyed that. But I fucking hated long distance running. Like I just, for me, I, I'd go for a 2K when I was like, probably up until 16, I'd do like a 2K run was my max. Like dad and I'd hit out 2Ks on the treadmill in the morning and race each other. And I just remember thinking like, why would anyone in their right mind want to run five Ks? It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then after a couple of years of being, you know, I guess quite unfit in comparison to how I was as a kid and lockdown 1.0 in Australia had hit and I just quit my job and I was focusing on the pod and I was sitting at home and I just remember looking at my rig one morning and I was like, mate, you are the, you've got the biggest dad rig going on. Like, <laughs> You need to sort that out. So I started doing a little bit of swimming and walking and I was walking one morning and I bumped into a mate and he said, Hey, I go to this like Sunday morning run club. It's called active boys run club. Basically we do a 5k at 6am and I was up early anyway. So that didn't bother me, but he's like, we do a 5k and then we sit down, we have an ice long black and a swim after it and just a yarn. And there's a big bunch of guys and girls that come along and it's just a great vibe. And I was like, what a way to start a Sunday morning having a coffee and having a swim. And if I can struggle through the run, um, that just sounds like a, a good energy to be around. So my mate Bids and I went to our first one. And I remember it was probably the Thursday 
before that Sunday. And I thought, fuck, I've not run five Ks in seven years. So I was like, I probably need to go like, see if I can just run two. And so I put my yeah. sneakers on, man. And I ran, I ran 800 meters and I was like, fuck this. And I took them off and <laughs> went for a swim instead. And so I rocked up on that Sunday and I, I struggled. Like I was, I was, I think I was like last or second last guy across the finish line, right? Like well behind everyone. But I was like, no, I need to keep rocking up to this. Like, cause this was great fun, man. Like we sat around, we had a coffee. There was a community. So I fell in love with that community before I fell in love with running. And I went back four weeks and I think it was a third week that they said, I'll come along to a Wednesday night run. Uh, like it's, we're all doing a half marathon, but we do the last five Ks, the loop that we done on Sunday. So just wait for us at this time. And then on <laughs> naivety again, I'm thinking, Oh, these guys are running a half mara. Fuck, I'll probably have to like support the boys a bit. I'll just run be- between the front and the back of the pack, give the boys a tap on the ass and, you know, a bit of encouragement. Mate, I was 100% a couple hundred meters behind every one of them for, the- <laughs> for that whole five Ks. And I got home that night. I went to my mum's for dinner that night and I was cramping up. Like I was, I was like, I don't think I've got two five Ks a week in me. But I rocked up that Sunday and it was that Sunday that I, I didn't feel right running. Like my lungs felt quite loose. And I was like, oh, that kind of felt weird. And I just put it down to maybe a bad day. And I was probably like an hour or two later sitting and having a coffee with the mates. And I coughed and I was like, oh, I can taste blood in my mouth right now. And I didn't want to make a scene. So I just went to the public toilet and coughed up a bit of blood for about 10 minutes. And then I thought, oh, maybe I can just like wash it down with a bit of coffee. So I went and sat and had lunch and finished my coffee. And then I was like, I'll go home and just have a rest. And as soon as I lay down, like a lot of my bleeds happen when I lie down, I'm horizontal because it's, I don't know if it's because there's no gravity on my lungs. Okay. But basically it's like when you lie down, like everything comes up so much easier. Right. And so I basically started coughing up blood and I couldn't really stop for a couple of minutes and dad took me to emergency and I'd had this before. And I knew that basically it meant there's something going on in those lungs. So I went to emergency. They took me in for a bunch of scans to make sure there wasn't anything that was still bleeding. And I'd stopped by this point. Um, and they were like, look, you've stopped. And I'm like, well, mum's putting on salmon tonight. So can I go? And they're like, yes, yeah, sweet. Um, do you feel okay? I'm like, yeah. So I went home. Then I ended up back there the next night. And the next night after that was, the third night was like the most aggressive one where I coughed up a fair bit. And I was like, okay, there's something really wrong here. And I was in hospital, I was in emergency. And they're like, basically you've got an infection on your lungs where the small vessels and airways are scarred because of your CF. Those scars, when they're inflamed from an infection, because they're trying to fight off an infection, they open up and they bleed quite easily, right? And if you lose too much blood, well, it's obviously it's a bad thing. They need to replace some of it. Um, but they're like, we're going to give you these tablets and they help clot bleeds. And basically you need to take these tablets every time you have a bleed. But if you ever cough up sort of more than like, say, you know, a small, like, you know, you've got like a little shot glass. If you ever cough up like a shot glass worth, you probably need to come because you're probably losing too much blood internally come to, to emergency. So I was like, okay. And they're like, look, we need you to go home and rest for two weeks. But I was sitting in emergency that night because they kept me overnight to monitor me. And it was like 2 a.m. in the morning and I'd spoken to my mom, my sister on the phone and I had my dad with me. 
And dad and I were just sitting there and chatting. It was probably a few days prior, just for a bit of banter. I shared a photo of him on social 23 years ago. And when I was two years of age, he ran a insane 68 kilometers three days in a row for CF. So it was a big charity event. Him, my uncle Tez, and a couple of marathon runners. And they weren't runners. Like, they were footy players, but they were fit boys. And they ran 68 Ks three days in a row. So 212 Ks to raise money for CF back then. There was a photo of, of dad running across the line. And I don't know why, but he had a can of two he's new in his hand. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, legendary, right? And then there's a photo of him and I that was in the paper that I've got in my phone. And it's actually, he's got a jumper on that I've still got today. It's my jumper now. And he's holding me and it's got a story about father runs, you know, 200 and something Ks for his son with CF. And I'm looking at that photo and I said to dad, I'm like, you know what? Like I've always got a really positive mindset off the back of these hard times where for me, like it's like a, a catastrophic moment has always like bef- before, as we said, led to a new high and me reaching a new part of my life. And I said, I only wish that everyone with CF had this mindset because unfortunately for so many, this moment or what I'm experiencing now would be the downfall of, of many years to come. And I said, I need to do something this time, not just to recover for me but to show people how important that is that like having a positive mindset and a really good outlook on your CF is what will get you through. And I said to dad, as we're looking at that photo, I'm going to run a marathon by the end of the year for CF. And I just want to show people what's possible. And I want it to be an inspirational moment for the community. And I want to see if I can raise some money for it too. And I left hospital with that idea. And one of my mates, Dano called me the next day and he goes, Hey, I was just saying to the boys, like, just your mindset's just different for someone who goes through all this. We, we need to do something like an event, like something just to bring that to light. And I was like, well, actually I had an idea and the boys were like, fuck, we'll just rally around you and help you get this done. And so like, I was like, I need to commit. And obviously I thought, how the fuck am I running 42 Ks? Cause I struggle over five. But I was like, I need to throw it up on social to commit to it because then everyone will be talking about it and I won't have a way out. So I done that. And then probably I think it was the next morning, um, I was actually in the middle of writing an email to the CF Foundation. And I had a Facebook comment on that photo from the CEO of CF Australia, Nettie Burke. And she was like, mate, we love this. This is amazing. Um, can we come on board? Next thing I knew, I ha- I've got a team of six people that work with me on this event every year now. Um, they're all amazing. And some of them donate their time for free and, and don't even get, you know, don't even have a job at CF Australia. And then the, the big one for me, which was, which was really special was obviously trying to figure out how am I going to get this done? Like what, what does a marathon training plan look like? How do I get there healthy? how do I get my legs prepared for that? Let alone, you know, not end up in hospital again and and go through all of that. And it was the only thing I could think, the only person I could think to reach out to was a guy named Benny Seymour, who had been the 12th episode of my podcast. And Benny was a pro rugby player who had transitioned post-career into endurance sports and running ultra marathons and, you know, multiple day events And the thing that made, you know, I'm no fucking jacked unit, like, but I'm not 60 kilos ringing wet either. So 
I was like a lot of the runners I was seeing do this stuff were so thin and lean and I was 88 kilos at the time. I'm now like 80, but I was like, like, how do you carry a rig like this without getting injured? And like, what does that training look like? And I just reached out to Benny and I said, Hey mate, here's what I want to do. Um, could we have a chat about like what it would cost me to get a training plan or some guidance off you? And I like, I barely knew Benny. We just followed each other on social off the back of this pod. And like, you know, we're acquaintances, like we'd bump into each other in the street if I'd seen him in Sydney and say, g'day, but like nothing more. And Benny goes, Hey, FaceTime me tomorrow at this time. I FaceTimed him and he goes, what you probably don't know is my captain at Western force when he played in the super rugby was Nathan Charles and Nathan actually has CF. So he's like, I'm incredibly connected to the cause. And he goes, and I think you're a great bloke and I really want to help you. So I don't want any money off you. I want to run it with you. And I want to speak to you every day and get you through this. And so for me, that was just like, it was incredible. It was like, what a guy, right? So we created like, like we become brothers throughout that process. He's such a good human. And somehow like as a guy who could only run five Ks barely at the time, um, the first run of that thing was seven and a half. And within six weeks, I found myself conquering a 25 K run. And like, just, I think in the, the one thing, and I said it to you boys, you know, before when we've spoken and I actually had someone reach out to me yesterday and ask me how you continue to, to go through the ups and downs of CF and be positive about it. And, and I think it's actually a really good point for anyone who's struggling in lockdown at the moment. This theory that I come up with last year, that purpose fuels progress. If you're working towards something that's bigger than you and you feel like there's a reason to get through all the down times and all the hard times and that you're working towards something, there's a goal in mind, there's a vision in mind. It's fucking powerful, man, because I've, I've never in my life seen myself as someone who would run 20 Ks and all of a sudden that felt normal. Right. And in such a short period of time. And so I think it just goes to show like if, if you believe, as we said, if you believe it, you will become it. And ultimately I just had a really good headspace and mindset around it all and training pretty quickly flourished and yeah, got me prepped. That's awesome. So about six weeks, roughly the prep was, did you say? After the no, hospital stint? So it was after the hospital stint, I rested for two weeks and then right. I started getting into it. So within six weeks, I could run 25 Ks, but it was, a, right. we had planned like a 20, I think it was a 22 week prep, right? Cause we knew it would take me some time, but it was like, it was just full of ups and downs. It was full of ups and downs. So like week three and four, I ran 15, I think no, week four and five, I ran 15 Ks for my long run, both weeks coughed up blood immediately as soon as I stopped after both of them. Um, then like I stopped coughing up blood for a long time and I felt really good. And then it was a month out where I was like, I was feeling really prepared, man, but I went for a 15 K and probably about 12 Ks in just felt my calf. And I was like, Oh, that's not good. And me being my, it's like probably like all fucking 25 year old dudes, right? We've got an ego. So I was like, fuck, I put out a video on my social this morning saying I was going to run 15 today. So I've got to run fifth. I was like, there's no way in the world I can clock 12 or 13 and put that up. So I was like, I need to run 15. So I kept running. I probably shouldn't have. And I'd done something to my calf. So I was panicking because I'm like, I've only got a month until I got to be ready. So I rang the physio 
got in to see him. He's like, you've probably got like a grade one or two calf tear, but he's like, but you'll be able to get over that in like two weeks. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you'll be able to get over that in like two weeks and you should be fine, but you're probably not going to run any more than 15 Ks before the event. We need to rest this. I'm like, okay. So I went home and I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I'll just do some of my strengthening exercises. And all of a sudden I just started coughing up blood and I'm like, fuck, you're kidding. And then that happened three days in a row again. And I ended up like having, I had the worst one on a Sunday morning. I remember coughing up a bit of blood Saturday night, taking my tablets, going to bed. And I remember waking up on Sunday morning and I did not feel good. Like I felt, I was like, fuck, I feel shit. And I remember walking to my shower. I was like, I'll have a cold shower to wake up a bit. And I started, just started coughing. It was like this sharp cough. And bro, it looked like a fucking battlefield in my bathroom. There was blood all over the wall, all over my shirt, on my face. Like I just started, I coughed up more blood than I've ever coughed up in my life. And I was like, okay, shit, this isn't good. So I ran out and I took two tablets and I just couldn't stop. Like it just kept coming up. And so we caught an ambulance because I said, dad was going to take me. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to stop. Call an ambulance just in case. Um, but luckily just before they got there, um, it sort of settled down and I went to the hospital and I remember sitting there and I thought, fire out, I'm a month out. This has happened by now. Um, because I'd taken so many of the blood clotters in the space of three days, I had gout in my fucking foot. So I, I had these, I had these three things going on. Like, as I say, it comes in threes. And I remember just thinking, like this would be a really good excuse, right? Like everyone's been so like, everyone's celebrated the journey. Like I've been able to, I've run 30 Ks. Like I've done all these things I never thought I'd do. If I just called it quits now and let everyone else run on the day and we raise the money, people would go, oh, it's still an incredible effort. No one's going to go, mate, you're an absolute pussy for pulling out with bleeding lungs. And, but I was like, no, nah, that ain't me. Like, that I think what I learned and over the course of the journey was like this was even more resilience than I'd ever known. And probably what was the proudest moment for me of, of the whole journey was that doctor walked into the room and the first thing that come out of my mouth, I didn't even say so rudely. I didn't even say hello. I was just like, mate, I've got a marathon to run in like four weeks. What can you give me to make sure that happens? And he was just like, nice to meet you. I'll go back and get some meds. <laughs> and so we were like, I went home, I recovered for two weeks. And thankfully after that two weeks, I felt amazing. And the last two weeks we've done some nice light runs and I got there with two feet on the start line on the day and was able to get it done. So best feeling of my life. Oh, that's awesome, man. How many people did end up running in the event? So, yeah. So the first year we had 13 of us. So originally it was going to be it was sort of like, well, if it's just me and we just get a crowd around me and then um, a bunch of people were like, Hey, we'd like to run this with you. And a lot of the crew that, that I'd run with from active boys and a few of my mates and Benny and, and his mate, Hannah, um, a few of them all got around it. So there were 13 of us. And then we had my dad and one of my good mates on the pushies behind us. And we're actually weren't allowed to have any more because of COVID. So we had a cap um, with our council permit. Um, but we had like, probably like a hundred in the crowd waiting for us when we got back. And 
it was a bit of a mind fuck because we had to run because of COVID once again and having like marshals along the way for the road crossings and all that for safety. Um, we're only allowed to run seven Ks north because we're only allowed 20 people in the event license. So we had to strate- strategically cross less roads because we needed a marshal on every road. And even if there were seven Ks away, they counted as one of the 20 people, which is crazy. Um, so we had to run seven Ks out and back along the same track three times. So it was three, no yeah, it was three 14 K laps and like it was a bit of a head fuck on the last bit back. Like oh, I remember yeah. looking at some trees and being like, fuck, I've seen that tree six times. Like it's the last thing I want to see, but it was kind of nice because you almost feel like this accomplishment of coming and it's like, oh, that's lap two. There's only one to go. And my game plan for the whole day was like, just get the 35 Ks and then you've got to find a way to get back anyway. So if you're at 35 Ks, you're going to get it done. And so ultimately it worked. Oh, that's awesome, man. How much did you end up um, raising? Yeah. So I think we actually went into the day of the event and I think it was somewhere like mid to late forties or 50 or something like that. And by the end of the day, it was 56,000. So Awesome. It was a, yeah, it was a really special feeling, man, to know that we'd raised a really good chunk of cash for CF Australia and going into this year, I would have loved to have done something like a hundred thousand, right. And, you know, we're still six weeks out from the event, but we're, you know, in the middle of a bit of an economical crisis and, you know, you can't ask a business to cough up a thousand bucks when, you know, they need that to pay their staff and for their livelihood. So it's been a really tough time for that this year, but like ultimately for us, 42 for CF isn't a short term thing. It's, it's hopefully a long-term legacy for, for this cause and for CF in Australia. So, you know, there'll be many more years to come and we just hope that as we, we hopefully live in a society that goes back to some normality soon, um, this can be an event that is really special for Wollongong, but also around the world for, you know, we've got connections with CF in Ireland and US and in England and I think in um in Canada too. So we're hoping that eventually this can be an event that we've seen run across the world. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was going to touch on that. Post-COVID, do you see this being an event that anyone can kind of join into and and, you know, take it massive? Well, look, one of my... One of the things I would have loved to have done this year was we had the conversation as a group um, really, really sort of like early after we finished the event last year that we, we would have loved to have this year in a perfect world had the full marathon, a half marathon, and then like a 7K fun run or a 5K oh, yeah. fun run. Yep. Because I think an event like that, usually it's those the smaller runs that get the bigger attendance numbers and um, allow people to get engaged with it. And, you know, we feel blessed, right? So we get to run in this beautiful place that is the Illawarra every day. And the Illawarra has never really had like, it's. we were the first official marathon to ever hit Illawarra, right? Oh, really? Yeah. First official council marathon, right? So council approved. And so we're like, this is a special event for the community too. And so much of the community embraced it. We're so lucky to have so much support. So we want to make it something that everyone can enjoy. And, you know, it starts here. And so hopefully I'd like to think next year can be that. Um, We had plans for that this year, but the moment that COVID started to creep back into the conversation, um, the hard thing is when it's, you know, a lot of the companies that do, that do the marathons in Australia, you know, that run Melbourne Marathon, Sydney, Queensland, they're for-profit companies. Um, So they're going to splash cash. 
we're we're a, we're a charity, right? So we take no profit from the event at all. Hundred percent of the funds go directly to CF. So the thing is, it's like we have to think, okay, if we're going to invest that much money, we need to be sure that that money's coming back into the charity. So you know, like things like blocking off roads, um, like booking all the safety requirements and getting the major approvals, it all costs money. And unfortunately, in this space, so you know, it's so uncertain what the next six months to 12 months looks like. But I think once we know that there's a certainty um, of what what at least the next 12 months of our lives look like, um, we'll be planning something special and I can't wait for it. Oh, that's awesome, man. And talking about that, um, how has COVID hampered this prep? Have you been still been able to get all your runs in and everything? You're still on target to, to get it all done? Yeah, it's funny, man, because it's almost been better for me um, in a way where- You're right. It's like we started off, we started, we just finished week 10, right? We finished week 10 yesterday. So it started week 11 now, and it's a 16 week prep this year. Um, and it's been a better prep than it was last year. Let me tell you that, like the quality of it, so much better. Um, we set off at the start and, you know, there's a big group of people who are ready to go. And then obviously um, lockdowns happen and we had the two person exercise rule. And so my mate Fooney and I, um, his name's Ty, but we call him Fooney um we basically paired up and we've got very similar fitness but he's he's run a half before but like for him this is very new he just threw himself into the idea of like just coming for runs and keeping fit through covid because he's a fit fella and eventually i conned him into running a marathon and signing up um but we're we're being good man like we run probably three to four times a week so wednesday is usually our long run day um, it changes a little bit now because we're sort of starting to prep for what the Saturday morning marathon will feel like. So we've been doing stuff on a Saturday or later in a week or sometimes working around me, coughing up blood and that sort of thing too. But it's sort of like we do one long run a week. We do, and last year, all our long run, every run I done was flat. Everything was on the flat. This year we're doing a heap of hill work. And then we also do like a fast session on a Friday, which is usually around seven K's worth of work with a warm up, a cool down and a bunch of like hard efforts anywhere between 400 meters and a mile. Um, basically just trying to really work on the speed and, and get that anaerobic capacity. And then we do like a moderate run or one or two of those. And so for an example, like this week was a, a decent size week. It was 50 K's. So it was like a, just a cruisy 10 on Sunday and then a cruisy 10 on Wednesday where we just got a little bit of hill in there and made it a little bit tougher than a regular 10. But then um, yesterday we hit a 30K, so it was nice to get a, a big one in the books. Yeah, nice. You say cruisy 10, man. I don't think I've ever run a 10K run in my life. So yeah. that doesn't sound fucking cruisy hey. at all to me. But <laughs> Hey, bro, that was me. But like I said, yeah. time, time changes things quickly. Who knows? You might be signed up next year. Bro, as soon as it uh, post COVID, that will be 42 for surf is going to be the first marathon I've run. I've already mentally checked into it. It's just a matter it. of as soon as we start, the couches, all of us, I'm, I'll bring the boys along. I won't have to force them. I was going to say I'll force them to, but they'd love to do it too, man. No, that's we'll be the first ones in. I love it. What, um, what date is it being held this year? So this year is October 16th. Um, yep. It looks like at this stage, I've got a conversation next week. We're going to have a little Zoom meeting with our team. It looks like it's likely going to be virtual, right? So what virtual will look like is basically everyone going out in however many, whether it be a pair or five people, whatever restrictions permit, 
um, to go and get this done. Now, I'm really mindful of the fact that there may be some people in this group who are very new to this, and I don't want to force anyone to go out and run 42Ks, one or two out, because it could be quite dangerous, right? So I'll basically, if it comes to that, if it comes to a virtual situation, I'll say to everyone, look, you need to decide what distance is a challenge for you, but you also feel comfortable with, because I don't want anyone to get hurt or put themselves in a spot. Um, but regardless, whether it goes ahead in the big group of 50 that we planned at Stewart Park in North Wollongong on that day, or whether it goes ahead where it's just us hustling away in our pairs and groups, I will 100% be running 42.2 Ks, um, Fooney and I. So we're, we're planned and ready to go for that day on the 16th of October. And then on the 12th of December, um, me, one of my mates and a few others um, will be tackling 100 laps of Wollongong's Lighthouse Loop, which is 64 kilometres. And we're going to continue to raise funds for CF on that day as well. Oh, awesome. Okay. And how do people donate? Where Do you have a link up somewhere that we yeah, can donate to the charity? 100%. So we've got a, it's called a grassroots link. Um, I can flick you guys that donation link, but you can also, yeah, definitely. if you head to my Insta, um, which is just Bradley J. Driver, um, maybe you can search the captain. I don't know. I don't think anyone recognizes me as the captain yet. Got a bit of work to do on that. Um, there's a link in the bio. So we really appreciate any, especially during these times, any donations. And as I've said to so many people, I think, what the push of this next six weeks is going to be to try and get some fundraising is just that good old gold coin donation mentality, right? Like everyone's one or $2 counts. And if it's, if it's a dollar that you can donate, because Hey, I like every one of you get 10 calls from charities a day to donate money and to be a part of stuff. And you'd love to do it all, but you just can't. So we're really grateful for anyone who can, who can spare a little bit of change and help us get to that tally. And, you know, Teamwork makes a dream work. So if we all come together with that one or two bucks, it adds up. No, that's awesome, man. And regarding the finish line, so like you said, you had the 100 people or so at the end, the finish line. Is that going to be possible this time? Is it? Can anyone come up and watch or what's the go of that? We hope so. We'll, we'll get some updates out there really soon. Um, but we'd love it to be something that, like the event as planned at the moment, um, is an 8 a.m. start where anyone can be there at Stewart Park, North Wollongong to see us off um, if COVID restrictions permit. And, um, you know, probably a little bit of a staggered finish, but I can imagine anywhere between likely um, 11-ish and 12.30 people will start to, to come across that finish line. You know, last year it took... I think I've done it in four hours, 16. Um, this year, we're hoping to finish it in about four hours. Um, you know, rain that time in a little bit more, subject to how good we feel in the day. Um, but look, I think we'll, keep, we'll continue to keep people updated. So if anyone's interested, um, just head over to my Insta. I'm always trying to keep people in the loop with what's happening. And I'd, mate, I'd love nothing more than to have a big group of people there. It doesn't look very likely. Um, but no less, I'll, I'll be bloody chirping away mid run on my socials anyways, keeping people updated on how torturous it feels at every stage of that 42. Awesome. So how can the couchies armies help? You've obviously mentioned the donations, maybe sharing, getting it out there. You know what I mean? What's the most important stuff? 100%. If, if anyone can just share, um, it's probably the easiest way is just to share the donation link amongst friends. Um, there's plenty of stuff on my social that kind of dives into the event itself. And like where I've done like a little in a post, like a little run through of the, um, the event and what's happening, share any of that. There's also actually a YouTube video on my YouTube channel 
which I think is called like 42 for CF. Um, it's, it's pretty recent. It's probably one of the last YouTube videos, which actually gives an insight into the story and the day. And it, it shows you a bunch of stuff from last year. And that's got a donation link there too. So you can get around that. And yeah, it's a great way to support. We really appreciate it. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, thanks heaps for your time, man. I think we've covered anything else you need to cover. I think we've kind of covered everything. No, just a massive thank you to you guys. You've always been in my corner and always supporting and likewise as I am for you. And it's just exciting to see a bunch of us having a real crack and going after what we want to do in life. Oh, I love it, man. Nah, I love it. Congratulations to pat yourself on the back because whatever you've, uh, whatever you've already done, you've achieved so much already. So it's amazing to see. Um, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for you, bro. I appreciate it, brother. It means a lot. You're a legend, man. Thanks again for your time. You know, I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this um, and we're going to raise awareness and hopefully, yeah, in a few years, that 42 for save is going to be, you know, rivaling the convoy for the biggest event in Wollongong. Mate, biggest event in the world. We're coming. In the world. Let's go. Awesome, man. All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks heaps for your time. Thanks, Couchies crew. She's uncut with Adam Sponge and Bow Talking everything, lifestyle, sports as well With self-development and everything in between These boys got what you need